Hello and welcome to another episode of 10,000 Hours. I'm your host, Grant Spanier, and I'm solo today on this intro. Our sweet, sweet Vince Kochi is a bit under the weather. His voice sounds sort of like Hagrid if Hagrid had eaten uh, a bag of nails and was also a 90-year-old woman. I think he'll appreciate that when he listens back to this intro. Uh, But you're listening to episode 33 today, and I guess it's fitting that I'm solo introing the episode since it was just Vince and I. Um, It seems like we do a hostful episode every like eight episodes or so, and today we were just talking about reflections. We were sort of chilling out uh, in the studio here and reflecting on you know, the first 30 episodes of the podcast, and we sort of got into the power of reflection and the power of of consideration and introspection and and looking back and sort of debriefing on things. Uh, so it was a blast to hang out with Vinny and, and chat for an hour. I hope you get something good out of it. And I want to thank our sponsor today, which is Simplecast. Uh, it's a tool we use. And, you know, since we started the podcast, I've had a lot of people asking me, Um, questions about the technical aspects, about getting started, about doing a podcast. A lot of people are considering it. And every single person I talk to about podcasting, uh, at least the technical side, I say, go sign up for Simplecast. It's super easy to use. It makes things way, way simpler um, per the name. And uh, I'm a big fan of them, and and we really appreciate them supporting the show. Uh, And that's friend of the show, Josh Long, who was actually our first guest. Uh, That's a product that he designed. Um... So worth checking out at simplecast.fm. Thank you guys and thank you listeners uh, for sticking with us. Uh, It's been quite a journey and uh, it was fun fun to chat about it on episode 33, Reflections. for being super on point at all times <laughs> and never not which never is not. <laughs> that's never the tagline never not on point never not point bingo mm. bingo bango yachty. and then i'll bongo your bongo oh oh my <laughs> i've got some java so Vinny, do you just want to tell me and our listening audience, um, what you're working on, what you're putting your time into. Yeah, uh, I'm happy to say I've been working with you a bit, Grant. Oh, in yes. The, in the not-too-distant past to work on my, and finally complete, mostly, my personal website. It's been a long time in the making. My uh, extant version was, how you should say, low budget. It was very student and it was in desperate need of an update. And with your very gracious help, and I do appreciate it, uh, I think we're going in a really cool direction. Yeah, man. Well, when you pay when you pay a designer a million dollars, he's going to do good work. It's just kind of how that's a given. It right? goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, are, have you robbed me of what I'm working on? No, uh, I, I don't think so because I think you have a lot of stuff on your plate, right? That's fair. Right, Grant? That's Can you fair. tell me what you're working uh, on? Thank you for that lead-in. Um, and thanks for asking, man. I appreciate that. I, for sure. you know, um, I will. By the time this airs, I'll probably be back. But uh, going to New York uh, for Advertising Week. 
Very exciting, man. Sorry to date I'm it, but so yeah, dude, jealous. We could bleep it out if you want. Um, we date the show pretty much every show. I know, which I like. I do like that. It's it's very <laughs> self-aware of us to... Uh, I just wanted to get that out of the way right away. That we don't have to just uh, touch on self-awareness. Just, we stage. got it. We touched it. And now we can sort of go team go. Um, yeah. So I've been working, I've been prepping for that a little bit. Um, also recently sort of in preparation for that and some of the opportunities that are out there, Woodbridge and I, I think finally launched. I don't know if I've said that on the cast yet. I think maybe, maybe, maybe on you, the last teased it, you teased it in the last episode. It was a little bit of a teaser. Uh, yeah, but we're sort of official because we got business cards now so that means we're a real business you've um, arrived yeah we're we've arrived <laughs> ding 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 we're rolling into the station of arrival where <laughs> you nice. go to make it so uh, that's really cool though that's yeah. uh high quality right high quality h-i-g-h-q-l-t-y dot com if you want to see some of the work and check it out it's a really cool site and the i gotta say the real the real is very Ooh, good thank it's you a, sir really great real mostly because of super talented people uh that we're working with who make it look good um, isn't that always true though it that is true I, but uh, yes yes that is always true you're right unless it's like a solo job but those are so rare <laughs> yeah it's exceedingly rare oh man this is nice vince we haven't had a hostful in yeah decades ages we, it's been a long it's time. It's been a long time. And a lot a lot has happened on the show since we last had a hostful. And so I'm excited to sit down just the two of us, Grant. Uh, even though we can't be in the same in the same studio today. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to have some one on one time. It is. It's good. I there's always there's always that third person in our menage a trois. The third just, wheel just edging in, like, just stealing airtime. Trying to hang with my bro. Exactly. What a what a wreck. But uh, it's it's nice to think about the past and think about how far we've come because our topic today is reflections. reflections. Yes, reflections. Dude, we did it. Yeah, dude. Uh, this has been a topic like I've I've considered doing, and I'm sure you have too for a while now. But we the time hasn't been right. Right, we haven't had enough to properly reflect on. But yeah. I think with a lot of things that have happened this summer with the show. Uh, the the hiring of some people, like some getting some more people involved, that mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. The going out to Portland to record some live shows, Ooh. that was like really cool. And of course, having the the great and the the magnanimous Seth Godin on magnanimous was a, a real big moment for us. And I think a lot of a lot of milestones have occurred this summer. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one, and I, I, we, we didn't really get a chance to reflect and process during the during that show because it was we had to do the show. But I think now that now that we've done that episode, I think this is a good time to sort of look back um, at the roots of the show. Of course, started at South Project, really, um, and man, it's it feels good. I think I think towards the end of the summer, we both sort of slowed down a little bit because it was a wild summer, man. Especially with all the Portland stuff, and you know, we it was a whirlwind. We so recorded much. what was that like five four, episodes? Yeah, and four days. In the, yeah, and crazy. that was insane. But that also sort of gave us some breathing room in terms of like nothing really needed to happen. I kind of pounded out all the work that needed to happen, and we had some systems in place essentially, yeah, exactly. and people that were so we were not on autopilot, but it was like oh, it wasn't necessarily top of mind every week. Yeah, the way I would like to describe that is working as intended. Like, yeah. <laughs> we talk a, lot, I talk a lot about like set, setting up processes and trusting people and communication and planning and all of that stuff kind of coalesced. 
and we talked about it on the show, and then it came to life in practice during that that month period when we were in Portland. Well, mm-hmm. you were in Portland, and the show was in Portland, but and I invited you. It, I know you did. I know that was gracious of you, but uh, and it was cool because you could see you could see the stuff we talk about coming to life. No, you're right. I think uh, the the irony here is that. The reason it wasn't top of mind, and the reason it, it almost felt weird, like the show felt weird for a minute, and it was like, wow, am I, are we taking this thing for granted, or what's going on here? And then it, it was the realization that we didn't have like the proverbial gun to our head every week, right? Because we we had set ourselves up for some success, or for, <laughs> we weren't we slaving, yeah, we weren't like trying to get it to production like last minute every weekend, which was yeah, yeah that's nice. and even before that before the portland trip i think there was a lot of prep especially in the audio side just figuring stuff out and coordination but we had kind of built up a little bit of a runway built up a little bit of a, a lead on the show so i think that just carried on through and then you know we had seth on and we were prepping for seth and it was just sort of like oh wow this has come a long way we've done what 30 some episodes like totally and everything went smoothly mm-hmm. and that's because we had to forge the uh, the extensive hiccups out of the process along the way. Mm, mm. Uh, so can we let's address the actual topic of reflection a little more broadly yes, first? Yes, because I have some I have some show specific questions for you, my friend. But uh, and I'm gonna reflect them right back. Hopefully, <laughs> what what does reflection mean to you? And do you take time? Do you have certain rituals of reflection that you you impart each day? Ooh, ooh. hindsight's twenty twenty, my friend. Um, sure is. Yeah, reflection. <laughs> I, I said we were just going to touch and go, but reflection to me is integral to self awareness and is integral to like planning forward. Right, is looking back, considering, and then moving forward. Um, as far as so, reflection to me is really just thoughtful consideration of what has happened. And I will say, reflection is really, really, really important to me creatively. And from a culture and from a uh, sort of co- cooperation and collaboration standpoint, because so many projects, you know, doing a lot of projects, you know that, and I love it, and it's really rewarding. But the problem sometimes that happens is not every project goes well, and that is just right. the nature of the game, and that's totally fine. And but, even the projects that go well might not go perfectly. And even the projects that go really well still demand reflection, I think, because totally. if we don't reflect, you know, there's a time to move, move, move. There's a time to put your head down and go. And then I think there's a time to come up for some air, look behind you, and survey what has happened. And if we don't look back, I think we sometimes miss out on an opportunity to learn, to either figure out what went right, to figure out what went wrong, to have an honest conversation I really think on something that I've been even pushing for recently because, uh, as you know, I've been working with a lot of startups. I've been working in the design sphere and the writing sphere for agencies. It's like sort of copywriting. And over the last couple of years, I've been being really intentional about pushing more into the film side of things, that sort of storytelling. And what I realized is that industry and that culture is totally different. And those people operate totally different. And something that I'm trying to bring, um, which I think is a great uh, a great value add for me coming into that industry, into the film industry, into the production side of stuff, is I bring a different perspective. And something that I'm trying to push for more now, especially with kind of the core team members of any production, is we need to debrief after a production. And we need to sit down so and important. talk about it. Because 
uh, oftentimes there are things that people are upset about or there are things that like didn't go right, especially when, you know, these are, these are designed to be and are often really well oiled machines and specialized. Then you have these little mini departments on set and you have people just kind of moving, but sometimes things happen that, you know, you don't even realize as a director, you don't even realize as maybe a producer. And it's good for us all to sit down and say, Hey, here was like an opportunity missed. Here was a mistake made. Here is a thing because set time is incredibly expensive. And so if you're not doing it right, you know, you're losing a lot of money. And also it's a huge opportunity to build the culture and to do really good work. And to do that, you need to all be communicating. A hundred percent right. I couldn't, I couldn't echo your sentiments anymore. I think too often and by necessity, what we do on a project or against a deadline is instinctual on some level. Yeah. We're kind of operating in like a defensive, get things done, produce, get it out the door mode. And that's good. That's productive. Mm-hmm. But, and I think you'll always have to do that. But what you can do is like you said, debrief after it's out the door, after it is shipped, gain an understanding of how it went. And so the next time you're trained a little better to do it a little smoother mm-hmm. to do it a little more precisely that's the thing the key to short-term productivity is is intense focus and intense effort the key to long-term productivity is planning and is training and absolutely and you totally miss out so like in the short term yeah you need to push really hard but if you don't start to train your intuition and figure out ways to do better then you're just going to continue pushing in these little bursts and that's i don't think necessary healthy and i think it's just i don't know i don't think it's good (laughs) it's it's, inefficient too in the long run right you're never going to maximize you're never going to grow you're never going to get exponentially better Mm -hmm. at doing the things that you do uh and i think i think we we are in agreement on the 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 real benefits the productivity benefits of a reflection but what you did touch on and what i think is often lost in these discussions is that there's a real emotional and, and communication health benefit Mm -hmm. from having a a period of reflection after a project. Absolutely. It's um, in any, I think project in any relationship, even if you take this outside the context of work, something happens, you should probably talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's really hard to, yeah, I think, and it's not just a debrief in terms of what happened, but what I seek to do is to ask a pretty basic question. I'm not alone in this. I'm not a visionary in this, but <laughs> asking why things happened. Mm-hmm. Why did I, – I understand this thing went wrong. The account team didn't get me the brief for four extra days, and then I only had two days to do the project. Classic. But why? But why did it go wrong? Mm-hmm. And And just that it goes wrong and I complain about it does almost no good. That's mm-hmm. not a reflection. That's not valuable reflection. Mm-hmm. Asking why and, and getting other people involved in that conversation. That's where I think the usefulness starts to kick in. Yeah, that there is a tough balance, though. Um, like, there are several balances going on. I even think about um, a specific example for me would be TEDx. You know, we planned TEDx Hennepin Avenue this year. And, yes. and um, there were a couple people that sort of fell off the project for various reasons. And I think, uh, you know, we did, we did have a debrief. Um, the challenge comes in making sure it's constructive, kind of what you were hinting at, making sure it's constructive. And also just like when we go into a creative review, trying to separate the ideas or the feedback from the person and 
creating a safe space where you can just honestly talk about what has happened. hundred um, percent. And that's tough because I mean, by the very nature of the work we're doing, we're attached to it, you know? Totally. Uh, yeah. And for and, like having to confront, <laughs> even having to confront the own actions that you did. Yeah. Is, is strangely vulnerable. Having to like justify your decisions and your actions and not even justify in a defensive way, just having to reflect on them and explain them even to yourself is sometimes very challenging. It's very wise because that is actually something I was just thinking about, which is I often have no idea why I did something. I mean, to an extent, you know, clearly, but uh, until I'm forced to start explaining it or think about it. And I find that through the act of that, I start to process things and I start to realize what I was doing because I I have worked really hard to um, develop systems and to develop my intuition. And I really do think I'm operating from that like level often. And uh, you know what happens? You, you operate from intuition when, especially when they're, you're pressed against a deadline or pressed against whatever. And because I'm consistently pressed for time and pressed for mental energy, I find that I'm just sort of acting and reacting. Um, And by way of that, I feel, I do truly feel that uh, my intuition has improved. Um, But what that means is, and regardless of of the level of intuition, when you're operating um, on a really intuitive basis or trying to uh, by necessity, then you don't necessarily realize why you were making decisions. And so you need to take a step back afterward, later on, or even in the middle of a decision and go, wait, why? Why am I thinking of this? Why am I doing this? And I find that through talking about the the process and what happened, then I start to realize, oh, I think I did this because this. And that was not the right decision, but here's why I think I came to that conclusion. That's it's I mean, this is such a big a big important idea. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering if we can it might be hard and I'm I'm like doing this off the cuff. Off can the we cuff. like think of an example of a decision that we had to reflect on recently? Like, do you do you have one that you oh, could I maybe you take? Were like a... teeing, I thought you were teeing me up, like like you were like wink wink. You know, you know. No, the no, I'm actually curious. I'm actually curious. Um, I'm trying can to we, like dissect. Well, actually, you know, okay, I could think of I could think of one thing that is not like a super good example, but I, and let me just say, you've you've seen this in action many times. What I'm just kind of blabbering, trying to, and then I like come to a conclusion, like oh, Stream that's of consciousness, was, man, yeah. That's so a, thank you for allowing me to to stream of consciousness, stream of conscient conscious. What's the what's the verb there? What's the past tense? I mean, you can use stream as a verb. Oh like, yes, so you, thank you, you for allowing stream me to your consciousness. stream stream with you. Because <laughs> um, really, that is a uh, you can't do that with everybody. You just yeah, can't. some it's people just, some people don't think that way, and some people are made uncomfortable by that. And but, I, tr- I trust it. You know, I think it's a trust thing. But uh, for sure, you know what I was thinking of was even with the high quality stuff. Um, yeah. often, uh, I find I come to a conclusion or I have an idea and then, you know, I start executing on it maybe even before I've really, uh, talked it out or plotted it out or whatever. And then I'll look back and go, Oh, that's why that was my reaction to this. Or that was like, I could trace the roots back like six months, a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think of high quality as, Oh, I saw an opportunity and I see an opportunity and it's just a reaction to the environment and to um, certain inputs, which which is to me, high quality is an opportunity for me to separate my design work to sort of rebrand to take a step forward, um, and and it's a it's just a, a much easier way for me to work with other people on these particular projects I want to do. So to me, that was like one thing where it's like, oh, I didn't even really understand why I was doing it, um, or or I'll be able to trace back like um, 
some inspiration for that, you know, like, cause I'm, I'm, I like to look at, uh, a lot of other people's work and a lot of other people's like business models or like setups. And I'll see like different pieces that I pulled without thinking about it. But then I look back, I'm like, oh, this is totally where I think I got this idea. <laughs> yeah. Even, even from Tracing a, a things, writing standpoint. Yeah. The lineage of an idea is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And t- I think high quality was the uh, the example that I was hoping you'd touch on nice. because it happened so it happened so suddenly. <laughs> it, the the action went from like cons- uh, con- idea and consideration to a fruition rapidly. Mm-hmm. You know what? I think that's that's kind of what I was getting at, and this is now me me realizing what I was getting at when I was talking about operating from intuition and just sort of moving is. There are things in motion, there are things going, and when I see an opportunity, I just try and strike and go, and then look back, and st- it's, it's essentially like, instead of asking for permission, ask for forgiveness, in action with, like, work, with projects. It's for like, sure. just go, and then look back, and, and figure out, like, oh, was that a good idea, was that a bad idea, what's going on? Well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, and I mean this in the, in the absolute most, <laughs> most, I don't even know how to say it, with great honor. Sure. You're an opportunist, Grant. Oh, yeah, you, no, for sure. And you dislike watching an opportunity pass, and you're very decisive when you see an opportunity. You know, and so I think that almost like native drive for you to take opportunities, you saw this present yourself, and kind of latently you, you were seeking to make a relationship in your life more convenient. You were looking for a way to extend your personal brand, and you saw an opportunity to do so, and you just jumped at it. For better or for worse, um, I think even during the Seth episode, we were talking about uh, my greatest fear is like missing out on potential or opportunity or whatever. And I really think at this point now, I'm like more, I, it's like causes me more pain to not try an idea with that I think has some potential than it does to like try an idea and fail miserably or waste time and money on it. So oh, like, yeah. So like I have a greater fear of not jumping than I do of jumping essentially. And falling. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. Um, yeah. And so it, it's, it is for better or for worse because what that manifests as is if somebody pitches me on an idea and I like it and I like see myself fitting into that world, I like go – I extend that very far in my head and then I start working on it immediately. And oh, yeah. And a lot of people are not that way and sometimes I can get a bit ahead of myself in that. And then when somebody doesn't want to pursue that or they're just like – they're, I don't want to say lazy, but they're not about executing on their idea. That like hurts me. Right. And you've invested this sort of like you've leapt and you saw yeah. a ledge and then they, they pull the ledge away from you. Yeah. But not in a good way, <laughs> not in a way to promote me jumping further. I just think, <laughs> no, yeah, no. I, I, I jumped, I was holding their hand and I thought we were jumping together and, and then they like, they're standing on the edge laughing. <laughs> yeah. I remember a couple of like, opportunities and, and projects in your past that that has happened to you and it's, it's like a, it's an oh, yeah. actual shame but <sighs> that's part of that's a double-edged sword right yeah and i mean it, it as painful as um a failed project or like a jump without you know the partner jumping with you can be it does give you context and i think it gives you um you know you can't have light without the dark and and you can look back on those things and and you can learn i i think about that a lot uh when when we were talking about red flags on whatever episode that was i want to say 17 i'm just throwing it out there i'm gonna agree with you okay thank you Vince. <laughs> uh, we're talking about red flags to me learning to see red flags and indicators it usually comes from the from looking in the past and saying oh this is this was a red flag i didn't realize it then but then you start to train yourself to, to see it in the in the future. 
And what and what is recognizing patterns and learning from experiences if not reflecting, right? Absolutely. And you have to reflect. You have to reflect to to actually extract that knowledge, because you can have all the experiences in the world, and you can have been ex- exposed to all the patterns in the world. But if you don't reflect upon them, mm-hmm. you're never going to actually mine the knowledge from those experiences. So, Vinny, I want to kind of change gears, and feel free to shut this train down. But uh, I'm kind of jumping, I'm jumping here and I was just thinking about even our conversation and I was thinking about conversations I have with people, um, especially, you know, you're getting coffee with someone, you're, you're talking about collaboration, whatever. And I'm thinking about like, I don't know how this plays in, but like reflecting their body language or like, what are you reflecting back to this person? Ooh, okay. So I'm just, I'm just curious if you have any initial thoughts on that, even just from a conversational standpoint, because I'm, I'm curious about this, like. When you meet somebody new or you're, you're talking to a client or, or someone, like how do, you, how do you navigate those waters? Because I feel like reflection is a natural part of it, a different kind of reflection. We're talking more about a mirror. Yeah, a, weird, a more literal interpretation of the word in a way. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is supremely interesting to me. And it's something that as I meet more people, I meet people who are varying degrees of good at conversation. And yeah. so what does that mean? I always used to think that if you could, you know, maintain a conversation, you have the back and forth, the give and take, that made you a good conversationalist. And as long as you could keep the conversation going, that's kind of where it topped out. Sure. But I have been exposed to types of people who can, in a very genuine way, not in like a fake way, sure. mold their body language and their personality and their intonation to reflect what they're seeing in their counterpart in their conversational counterpart Mm -hmm. and this unlocks a level of conversation that i thought was like almost impossible to attain before Mm -hmm. it's like becoming compatible with someone even if your base state isn't compatibility Mm -hmm. and so i I was working with a a fellow writer of mine and his name is nathan mcintyre and he might be one of the best conversationalists i've ever seen he he can he truly made me feel engaged every single time we spoke to one another mm. in a genuine way. And so that's something that I've tried to emulate and learn from him mm-hmm. is it's a, it's a level of empathy. It's a level of self-reflection and it's putting yourself in the opponents or the, the, not the opponents, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the opposite persons, yeah, the, the person opposing person yeah, yeah, yeah. in a conversation. In your enemy's shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think, being able to reflect even the tone of a conversation or the mm-hmm. tone of an mm-hmm. of an environment is is supremely important in having open communication. Absolutely. I have two thoughts on that. One is we we use this term a lot and or I, I really use this term a lot, but like somebody who gets it and I think someone who is reflecting my my body language or my vibe and or you know especially when you're both reflecting and you're kind of coming to a middle ground. Uh, yep. that signals somebody who gets it. And that's, if someone can reflect correctly and, and, and do that well, that's how you jump like 25 steps in the relationship levels. And all oh, of a sudden yeah. you're just like, it's an accelerator, man. It really is. But, uh, my next step was, I, I swore I wouldn't bring it back to self-awareness, but I swear to you, man, the ability to reflect and project, I think comes, you said from empathy and where does empathy come from? Self-awareness. So I think, yeah. I think, yes. <laughs> It does, though. But let me let me say this. I feel like one way to start cultivating the ability to reflect and the ability to empathize and and your own self awareness is to cultivate uh, or just start looking and observe. And to me, 
uh, I think that's where I started more down that path, um, was thinking about writing. And I was, you know, I was writing in Chuck Palahniuk's that those writers workshops. And one of his essays was about, um, was just about observation. And, and one of our assignments was to just go and observe people and to write down these, the little nuances you see and the little ticks and the unique things that people do and how people behave in public or how people behave in class. Cause those little details are what give a story that layer of reality. And once you start looking for that, it's just like design that we talk about. It's, you see it everywhere and it's fascinating. And you start to sort of take that in and I don't know, I just, I think that gives you a better ability to reflect by seeing first. I mean, I can't agree more, right? And I think the ability to notice nuances in others is, I want to know what you think. Is it easier or more difficult to notice those nuances in yourself? Well, I think, like, it's easier for me to to notice, like, myself when I like change something like physically or like I know I'm making a decision but most of the time it's really hard to see you know people can typically point something out um that's different for you that you haven't even noticed because those changes occur little increments over time and you have been there the whole way right it's the frog in the boiling water classic that classic frog in boiling water (laughs) scenario yeah no I agree and I think what I like is noticing habits and and uh, ticks even yeah. and little and little habitual movements and nuances in others and then trying to see them in myself. Yeah, it's kind of a treat to see like progress of someone. It's it so is right mm-hmm. from an anthropological level even. Mm-hmm. Like just yeah, and it's funny you know it's funny to get a compliment. Um, I mean, or feedback on something, but it's funny to get a compliment from someone about, about something, whether that's physical or, uh, you know, whatever. And you didn't even realize it, but like you had been making strides toward that, or that was different per se, but you just like, it had become commonplace to you. And so actually I think part of reflection and part of, part of like iteration, if we want to call it that, or just improvement is setting up, um, not setting up systems, but just having relationships and in putting yourself in environments within those relationships to get feedback, to get, um, to get yes. some reflection because it's hard. It's easy to self reflect and think about things, but on our own, it's really hard to actually see some of those, some of those nuances. That was a great point. Yeah. You, and you're, you touched on something really important. I think maybe we need to be a little self-aware just for a second on Uh-oh. this, on this show. And we often talk about the the grand importance of self-awareness and in that self-reflection and investigating things within yourself. But it is also very important to get objective outside feedback. Because even though I would argue that honesty with oneself is is a higher plane of importance, you cannot often achieve that without sometimes people disrupting your internal monologue. Yeah. I mean, we... (laughs) It's we're like naturally self self deceptive. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's a human trait. It's a human trait. So to defeat to defeat the liar, our subconscious liar, or you know that that actually might be protecting us in some ways. You kind of have to get some outside uh, viewpoint. Absolutely, and that's why I have to admire people who who, as a friend, can be candid with yes. with me and to point out my flaws, which I know exist, but sometimes have have coded. Like a like the grain of sand in an oyster, 
I have, I have pearled my oh, flaws into something that flawless. I can even be proud of, right? That was flawless, though, let me say. That was, that was well played. Um, <laughs> thank, no, yes, that's a great you. point. That is a really great point, and it just, it just really kind of comes full circle for me, getting back to debriefing on a project and being able to talk honestly with someone and have the bravery to say something um, I think about even just in, in even like, uh, like more of a romantic relationship or something and, and, or, or just in, even in a friendship, right. Is I've tried to, and it's so hard and it's like something I have to like continue to work on. I've tried to just like be honest about how I'm feeling and even separate my feeling from me and just say, totally. Hey, this is how I'm feeling and I get over the guilt of it. Cause sometimes I like have shitty feelings. Like I have shitty feelings, like that are like not fair, they're selfish, they're whatever. And the only way for me to find the root of them or to even just like start thinking about that is to be honest with someone. So let's say someone's doing something like really annoying over time and I don't say anything, that just builds up and builds up and builds up and creates such a negative energy. And maybe it starts because let's just say, uh, I'm trying to think of a specific thing. Let's just say Vince, let's just pretend in a hypothetical scenario you do something every time we get together that I don't like, or you always like, maybe you always borrow something of mine. Okay. So you're always, or you're always taking something and, uh, and I'm getting super annoyed with it. Um, this isn't real by the way. Okay, Vince. I just, no, I know. I'm not, I'm not like <laughs> alluding to anything, but, um, I'm like, uh, I pretty, I'm pretty sure I take a beer every time I oh, visit. God. No, no, so. no. Okay. <laughs> That's not a thing though. So, but let's say it was a thing. Let's say you came over every time we record a podcast and you took a beer and it really bugged me. And For sure. I just let it keep bugging me and I let it keep bugging me. That's irresponsible of me. I should say something, even if it like, but here's, here's my question to you. Can you illuminate to me how to do this? And, and we've talked about this before, but maybe it's these Midwestern sentimentalities. Uh-huh. Uh, sorry. I really had to, <laughs> I really had to sound that one out, uh, <laughs> but it's really hard to say something like you don't like, like, I don't, I wouldn't want to say, Oh, Hey Vince, uh, don't. And here's why. I mean, it's obvious why, right? Because you value me as a, as another person and you don't want me to have a bad feeling about your bad feeling. Right? Exactly. So you're trying to prevent me having a bad feeling, but here's the thing. You also have to respect the other person's desire for you not to have a bad feeling. Right? Exactly. And so this is, and like, if I knew that I was annoying you every time we hung out, I would have even worse feelings. So what you need to, you need to like make sure that's a two way street yes. and you need to, you need to not be a martyr. You need to not say, I would rather suffer than my friends suffer because you're not being fair to your friends. You're being right? selfish. You're being exactly. incredibly you're being selfish. 100% selfish. So you have to have the, the uncomfortable conversation. And if it's truly with someone that you're candid with, it yeah. won't be an uncomfortable yeah. conversation. And because, you know what? Oh, yeah, sorry. You're going. No, that's, that's right. It's, it's almost the end of my, the, well, no, no, it, it was just gonna say, I do realize like, you're being selfish because you, I think, at least personally, and I think this probably extends, but in my head, this person has in interjected themselves into my life and have made me uncomfortable in some way. And so I feel like I like, you want to like own that power of like, yeah, come on. Like I shouldn't have to now expose myself to another uncomfortable feeling because they, they're the ones who made me feel this way. They yeah, should, they true. should figure it out. They should that be self-aware enough to not have done that, but that's bullshit. Right. I don't want you to change. I want you to realize that you have to change on your own. Right? Exactly. But see, that's unfair. That's like a really unfair thing. I, I want you to want to do the dishes. Right. But at the same time, it's also not not fair. Because yeah. you might want to be with someone 
and so it's it's important to distinguish the fact that they're not doing something wrong, but you can you can still seek qualities in a person, mm-hmm. right? So imagine you're dating someone and they don't do the dishes, and then when you say, "Hey, please do the dishes," they're like, "All right, yeah, I'll do the dishes." And then every time you ask them, they do it, and every time you ask them, they apologize, but they never do them on their own anyway. You may still have a valid reason to not be with that person or to end a relationship with that person because you desire someone who is either more self-aware or is just more thoughtful about the fact that they should do the dishes. I think ultimately what we can agree on is that regardless of how either of you are or what your feelings are, it's pretty important to just communicate that and just be honest with each other. Because the only way you're going to improve or the only way you're going to be even comfortable, I think, is by getting uncomfortable and and talking about it. 100%, yeah. you got to peel back the layers. you You have to be... You, there can't be like context that you both have to wade through oh, because yeah, yeah. that's only going to obscure the conversation. And if you want them to be a more thoughtful person, then that's what you need to say. You don't need to say, I want you to want to do the dishes. I mean, that's like kind of vague and it's hard to say, but you need to try as good as you can to articulate exactly what you would like from that person. And that's how you build strong relationships is just honesty with one another. Yeah. So I think if you care about the person, you should be honest with them. It's kind of the only way forward. Otherwise, like you were alluding to, the obscuring the context, you could build up whole versions of reality in your head if you let it go on too long because you are operating from this context and then that evolves. And then now you have this whole backlog of like reality in your head. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense, man. It's just dangerous. That's, that's like the same thing as like before you meet a person, like building up a fantasy version of them in your mind that they can never live up to. Ugh. Like... You need to you need to reflect on the on the stories you've woven in your own life and try just it's it's fine to to fabricate stuff like that because it's just a normal way for the human brain to think but you also need to be aware of what's reality and what's fiction. I think we we've all been there where we remember past events in an exaggerated version of themselves mm-hmm. and that's that's a dangerous thing, right? Because it can cause you to to truly believe something that didn't actually happen. Man, reality, storytelling, that's just making me reflect on the act of reflection in like history class <laughs> and just thinking about how flawed, like how flawed by the very nature of it. Deeply, <laughs> deeply flawed and and not nearly granular enough. But at the same time, you, you have to start making generalizations to get any information right. <sighs> Ooh, it's tough, though. It's tough. It's hey, like, yeah. We went on a pretty grand scale there for a second. I know. I was like nervous that we were going to fall down that, <laughs> that well. But we skirted it. We skirted it. And I want to go I want to go into our off-topic topic, which also has something to do with reflection, oh, a yeah. little more a little more levity involved. But we're looking back on our pasts, our, our youths in some ways, uh, to our worst jobs, Grant. Yeah. And we talk about work and projects and, and getting stuff done all the time on the show and uh, a simpler time in our lives, we were less less than ideal occupations. Certainly not ideal. <laughs> Certainly I won't argue less with you. than ideal. I yeah. won't argue with you. I mean, the six years I spent as a traveling magician were <laughs> formative, but less than ideal. Right, right, right. Hey, Grant, do you have a do you have a worse job? Yeah, if you, if you think ju- back, what's jumps your worst? Jumps out at me right away. There's, I'm pretty. Pretty much no doubt on this one. So to clarify, I was not a magician at any at any point. Um, but there was a summer. I think it was probably like my junior year of high school. 
where I took a job uh, at a place that essentially delivers, repairs, manages all of the gaming and arcade and like pool tables, all of those machines um, at bars and restaurants and hotels. And I took a job there. I was basically a utility player. Um, and it was just brutal, man. Like, well, hold on. <laughs> Let me take a step back. I'm very thankful that I had employment and that I'm currently working. Oh, yeah. I and, think uh, before we say anything, like, we're fortunate to have a job and to get money for a service. And the service wasn't all that difficult in the end. But, yeah, I mean, that doesn't help the conversation. It's it's everything in context. It was brutal. So I was, I was <laughs> doing a lot of different stuff. And, you know, I was – uh, I was mowing the lawns. I was like weed whacking and, and oh, weed whacking. That's a Midwestern way of saying that, by the way. Oh, really? What do we yeah. say? What People we... say weed eating. Weed eating. Yeah, that sounds like a super troopers scene. <laughs> yeah, dude. But no one calls it weed whacking anywhere else in the country. Huh. If you're if you're a listener somewhere else in the country and I'm wrong, please soda pop. Get, get in touch. Do we with say us. soda or do we say pop? We say pop, right? You, yeah, you say pop here. If you go east, they say the, soda. Yeah, the exactly. irony with us being from Minnesota. Yeah, I know. Maybe that has something to do with That's it. I think the Mississippi relevant. River is the dividing line. M I S S I S S I P P I. And there we go. Uh, so I was doing a bunch of different stuff. Uh, a couple of the like lamer parts of this job were, you know, those um, those like blow up balls. They have like the little. End pieces are kind of like squishy. They go in the crane machines. Oh yeah, I sure. blew up thousands of those. There was oh, there was full days where all I did was sit with by an air compressor and blow those things up and put them in bags, and that was pretty lame. Um, <laughs> but I do remember <laughs> not the, too stimulating. No, it was not stimulating. But the very the very worst part of this job was, and this was the majority of what I did, which was go out on these runs where you would go collect money from machines, you would refill the crane machines, you would deliver games, pick up games, pool tables, really heavy shit. Um, and I remember the very first time, like this is, this is a great way to start out on this path of shittiness, was the very first time I had to go on a run was with a guy, I kid you not, who went by the, the title of Fat Bob. Um, so you can make a couple of guesses as to his physique. <laughs> and, and what they didn't tell me about Fat Bob was it was also Smelly Bob. And he was also oh, mean, no. mean Bob. And there was a lot of different adjectives, none of them very positive. And uh, he said, all right, we're going on a run today. And he talked just like a jerk. Uh, and uh, and we're, we're walking out to the truck. Um, we load up the truck, which is horrible. You have, to, like, you have to load in all these giant pool tables and all these things. And then uh, he walks into the, over to the passenger side and goes, yeah, you're driving. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, this is a huge truck, like a gigantic delivery truck. And, like, I walk around and I get in the driver's seat and I'm like, I don't, like, I don't know how, like, are you sure? Is this legal? And he's like, I uh, yeah, just don't get pulled over. And I'm like, oh, what boy. the fuck, man? Like, come on. Yeah. And I'm just, there, seriously, there's like, I'm like, well, I don't know if I feel comfortable doing this. And he goes, just gives me a glare. And I'm like 17 years old. And like, I need the money. driving this trunk. Oh it's very, very dangerous. And then, man, he would just like pass out. Like we would go and drive for hours up north to go deliver these games. 
And it was just a horseshit experience. And then he would just like fall asleep and he wouldn't let me turn the radio on. Because it would wake him up. Uh-huh. And there's that shit. And the there's AC, that good shit. Man. The AC was broken on the on this horrible truck, which is enormous, barely fits on the road. And oh, it man. also has like a left lean and it also does not have cruise control. Holy moly. Well, you've got the you've got the Molotov cocktail of boring, dangerous, and physically uncomfortable to the senses. Uh-huh. I almost fell asleep, I would say like six or seven times. Where it's just like hot summer afternoons, and I'm just driving this gigantic truck, and I would just hit those goddamn like. Oh, actually, thank you. They're not goddamn. They're thank you. Those uh, things on the side of the road. They're rumble nah. strips. The rumble strips. Nah. They make the noise. Yeah. Was that pretty it's, good? That depiction? was a great rumble strip impersonation. Thank you, Vince. I appreciate yeah, that. They, so, if you're in a part of the world that doesn't have those, they are these kind of aerated bumps on the side of highways to cause a, a abrupt noise if they're driven over to wake up drifting drivers. I like that uh, alliteration there, drifting drivers. You got it, baby. Um, so, yeah, it was bad. It wasn't fun, and I really disliked it. But it did kind of come around where I got a pretty good deal on a Mortal Kombat machine years later. <laughs> but I remember and, playing and, that oh thing, man. God, that was Vince, fun. Let me tell you this. I just realized this. And guess who fucking delivered it? At the studio. You're so, kidding me. Yes, I'm it's not, not kidding. Bob. I'm, Tell me I swear Bob. to you, man. Fat Bob pulls up at the loading docks, and he just looks at me, and I'm like, hey, Bob. And he's like, do I know you? And I was like, God, you dick. <laughs> oh, my God. You're the worst, man. But that he, is. He had to wheel in a Mortal Kombat machine into the creative studio. So There's that karma, man. There's that <laughs> wow, sweet, yeah, yeah. sweet karma. Ugh. Wow, dude. What a great worst job. Yeah, was, I gotta say, that it was, was nice. It was a good one. Uh, what about you, Vinny? I want to hear about your... Yeah, I want to hear a tale. Give me a tale. Please. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you a tale. You're going to be taller? Uh, and, no, it's, per- it's normal size. But it's, it's especially pertinent because we haven't alluded to this yet, but I'm, I'm joining you from the sleepy Wisconsin town of Phillips, Wisconsin. And it, it's my hometown. It's where I grew up. It's 1,000 people. I'm visiting my family. Uh, and uh, it's, it's nice and quiet out here, so the sound quality should be all right. But... Uh, this is where my worst job came from. So it's extremely rural America, like no people, lots of cows. And it's expected basically that as a youth, as a youth male, you have a, a farm job, a sort of like typical rural job experience. Uh, and so I got signed up for through a friend of the family to, uh, to bale hay, now, do you guys, I don't know if our listeners even know what baling hay means, but... Like you bailed to, on the hay making? <laughs> to make hay, basically, some machine goes through and cuts down all the grass, then another machine comes through and puts it into square square bales and t- automatically ties twine around them and chucks them out the back onto a trailer. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's kind of nice, and, and then you use the hay to feed livestock. Okay, so now we're up to speed on what hay is, <laughs> if you didn't know. <laughs> now that we've was- talked about hay... But given – and the, the big operations will have machines that do this all automatically. But these smaller locally owned farms, you need to put people on the back of these trailers to intercept the flying freshly made Fuck. bales and stack them. And then you take them from the, the truck, the trailer, into a barn for storage. Oh, yeah. And so you need human beings to do this. And no self-respecting adult wants any part of it. So you get kids to do it. It's a good move. Right. And so – if you look at the normal physique of someone who, in my hometown, 
you've got these like meat and potatoes milk fed kids that are like seven feet tall Let and me just, just confirm that you are not <laughs> i am built like a writer i'm built like the writer i am you look am... like the pen in your hand <laughs> right exactly and if I, and imagine me as 16 year old kid i was somehow scrawnier shorter oh, and just wow. all around slighter than i am were now. you as suave though you got not great nearly hair. okay no i had like a mop top mushroom cut like frizzy right. i was a walking disaster i was a little i looked like something out of a cartoon but that's fun so uh, I was stuck on the back of this trailer, and these hay bales are like 50 to 70 pounds each. And this is in, you have to bale in August and July. So the hot months, the hot, sticky, Oof. humid months. Oof. Now you got some choices to make. You can wear long sleeves and gloves and die and boil alive. Or... And by the way, you also have to wear like a heavy jacket because when you pick up these bales, they're, it's all sharp. They're prickly. Dress. I exactly. can confirm they're prickly. So you like if you touch them with your skin, you'll get scratched up. But if you wear protective clothing, you bake to death. And so you basically always decided to wear a combination of the two and get the worst of both worlds. So I would get these like perforations, these like small cuts all up my forearm, right, (laughs) on both forearm. And what's worse is the hayseed and the grime and the grit gets in there and it gets infected. And you've got this like pussy layer of woundage on either of your forearms woundage. and now if you're like if you're like some some uber mensch rural kid you're like you're impervious to the attacks of hay but <laughs> i was like this scrawny kid and i would get like allergies and the the hay seed gets caked on the hay inside fever? of your nose and mouth Did you yep, any hay fever for sure and you'd labor all day you had to do long days because if it rains while well, the the hay is cut and not bailed then you it gets ruined so you have to do it all day Ugh. And at the end of this, at the end of all this, you don't, it's like you get paid out of pocket, like off the books. So you make like a quarter of minimum wage. Yeah, I would imagine you would get more. I like thought that's where that was leading, but yeah, okay. Damn. You get nothing, man. That, that's a rough, at least I was getting, I was getting not, not great <laughs> money, but I was getting that $9 an hour or something like that. Yeah, dude. I think, I think I ended up getting around $3 an hour. Wow. That's more than zero so um <laughs> yeah dude it was a, it was hard labor it taught me a lot of character though that's you good know? it made, I, I it made, made you the it. man you are today <laughs> i will tell you i for a week i helped out with a i helped a friend out um well this his like uncle or something was gone on a dairy farm oh yeah oh man. my god i have never ever in my life been covered in so much shit dude but here's the true. irony i've it was kind of fulfilling. Like I, I wrestled, I wrestled a calf. I like was like, you know, like dealing with these cows. I was covered in poop, but at the end of the day, I felt like, damn, I put in my time today. For sure. For uh, sure. I've also had dairy farm experience and, and as unpleasant as the smell is like in general, you're working with animals and you're, you're creating food for the people and like, I think it's rewarding in a lot of ways. And I guess, I guess hay bailing could be rewarding, but I think the physical punishment was just too much for me. Yeah. Well, hey, you made it through. I'm, gl- I'm glad you made it. I you made like it out the other side. The, uh, uh, a hay bale could have really wrecked you. Like it could have taken you down. <laughs> it could have easily outclassed you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. And also any, any listeners who have had rural experiences who think I'm a pansy, please write in and tell me how much of a pansy I am. I'm going to write in under like six pseudonyms. 
I already know you're going to do that, Grant. So <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything less. Uh, but yeah, that was my worst job. And I think, I think now's a good time for some final last thoughts on reflection. Reflecting on reflection. If you dare. Wow. And here's the thing. If you put two mirrors up against one another, they go on for eternity, right? It opens a portal to another dimension. Which you and I have gone down before, of course. We're time travelers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Hey, let's let's end the show like we always do. Uh, if there's one way that our listeners right, and our fans can support us, how, how should they support us, man? Well, I think to support the show, just going on and subscribing. Um, and we've got sure. a, got a link to the newsletter and to iTunes on uh, on the subscribe page on the website. Um, sure. Otherwise, you can look it up in the iTunes store. Leaving a rating would be pretty cool. Um, that would be nice. Yeah, we've got some nice ratings. I think we're generally rocking a five star situation. And it's always nice to read comments, even if they're, you know, not super positive, but if they're constructive, uh, it's always nice to, to get a little bit of feedback. Um, so that would do it for me. I mean, for sure. Just and then, tweeting us is kind of fun. It's fun to exactly, interact with people. Exactly. I think so, too. Find us and, and interact with us, more importantly, on social media, like uh, at the 10KHRS, right? Yeah, you nailed it, man. And 10,000 hours on Facebook. So yeah. find us there. And, and you can also interact with us personally. I like to get tweets. Uh, at Vincent Repeat is how you can find me on Twitter. And do you, do you want them hitting you up personally on Twitter? Grant? Hit me up personally. I love to tweet. You know, I will say um, sometimes it's nicer. It's like a better interaction to just like tweet with people. Sometimes, you know, if you get emails and things and you have start, you kind of like go down this rabbit hole of responding Whereas I feel like it's a nice, lightweight, like, just more fun way to interact is on Twitter. It totally is. It totally is. And you know what? People get to see your interaction, which is maybe it's something they were thinking too. And boom, boom. It just starts a snowballing conversation. And then we can reflect together. And then That's we can right. all achieve the nirvana of self-awareness. And then we can all go do incredible creative work. We can all become creative gods. That's creative right. gods. That's the goal, right? Precisely, man. And I think on a more holistic level, I think if you if you make an earnest attempt to be self-reflective and self-aware, that is that is in a way supporting us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess my final thoughts. Can I? Yeah, please go for my it. My final thoughts on the topic are that uh, – it's important to create space and to create um, create confidence for yourself and, and really like talk yourself into that confidence of, of candor, of honest conversations with people that you care about and with collaborators. Um, so I think being really intentional about, you know, debriefing, as I like to call it, after a project or, or giving yourself... Uh, time and space and uh, what have you to reflect and process what's happening. For me, I find that through writing, that's one one very tactical, actionable, real way that I can process what's going on. And I find um, that sometimes I don't I don't have any idea of what I'm feeling. I just have these like chemical reactions going on that I can't put words to unless I, I sit down and start typing. And so I think uh, I would ask or I would put on, on people to f- kind of figure that out for yourself. <laughs> so do some do some meditation on what's the best way for you to process things. Um, now we're getting kind of meta. But uh, Absolutely. I think the point being that 
there's huge, huge value in reflection. And I think in order to move in a more positive direction, which you can always do, uh, it's important to, to look back and sort of uh, look at the target that you were aiming for, look where you ended up, and, and then kind of re realign and retarget and move forward. Uh, 100% well said, man. Uh, you, you echoed my sentiments exactly. Give yourself opportunities to be mm-hmm. self-reflective because it's not a, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an inherent, natent thing to be able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So if you put yourself into situations and develop rituals that allow self-reflection, you're, I think you made a huge, important step. Um, and I would like to end with just a little bit of a reflection for us, Grant. Ooh. It's been it's been what now, eight, nine, ten months almost. Oof, wow. On this on this crazy trip of ours, this ten thousand hours journey, and we've gone we've come a long way in terms of like basic stuff like mm-hmm. audio quality, and our guest experience. I know mm-hmm. our first few guests probably had a lot more <laughs> of a pain in the ass to to sit down with us than our, our recent ones. And I think we've also accomplished a lot of cool things, and we've we've done some cool stuff, and we touched on that earlier in the show. I just want to reflect on our time together and say i I consider myself very lucky to be a co-host of this show with you man likewise brother man and you know let me give ourselves a bit of a pat on the back not just for having come this far but i think for being honest with each other and and figuring out what's going on with the show and and taking the time even after our first shows to say what went well what didn't go well and certainly yeah there's a lot of honest reflection on what (laughs) didn't go well for the first first, like 10 20 episodes but yeah but hey man we're we're rolling now and and i'm excited for uh what what sort of improvements we're gonna make and the people we're gonna get on on the show and the conversations we're gonna have um and i'm really proud of the conversations we've already had so thank you vince i'm honored to be your co-host well, I, that's just too many warm, touchy feelings right now. I know. Now. So I we know. Got, we gotta sign I'm off. Buzzing. Hey, man! Thank you, and thank you, everyone who's listening. Let's do a let's do a combined together. Show. Yeah. yeah, count it down for us. Three, two, one. Ship, Ship it. it.